All right, hey, hey, all back again. This time we're going to talk about Mao Zedong, if that's how you pronounce it right, uh, his approach to dialectical materialism, which is a short piece from the selected writings. So this will be a pretty short one, I imagine. Now, a few things to say before then. You can find this on Podbean if you want to avoid the ads or any other platform where you probably get podcasts. You can find me on Instagram, at theory underscore and underscore philosophy. Uh, if you want to see pictures of my cats, mostly, um, you can contribute on Patreon or PayPal if you have the means to. If not, any like, comment, subscribe, you know, you know the drill. All of that helps. Uh, but I'd like to extend a thanks to Boz, Honrick, James, John, Eust, Julio, Killswitch, and Matt, and Ashley, who have all been really helpful in keeping this going. Um, and yeah, hopefully it'll keep going for a while still. Now let's jump into this, dialectical materialism according to Mao Zedong. Now Mao begins by considering that history, that is the history of philosophy really, um, is divided into two broad camps, that is idealism on one side and materialism on the other. Now idealism in his words considers spirit, and then in brackets this includes consciousness, concepts, the subject, as the source of all that exists, whereas matter, which is nature, society, and the object, is simply secondary. Now materialism recognizes the independent existence of matter as detached from spirit and considers spirit as secondary or considers idealism as secondary. So idealism is focused primarily on things that don't exist in the world per se. So questions like, does God exist, for example? Is there a thing called, to borrow from Hegel, uh, a thing called world spirit? Or does consciousness determine what the world is? Or the very perception of it gives meaning to the world? Whereas idealism looks at the world and says, what can we know about this thing? Because we know it's out there. It affects us, we engage with it, we move with it. So therefore, there must be something about it we can learn. And perhaps it shapes us rather than us shaping it via our, un our, our uh, consciousnesses or, you know, our propensity for spirit or for self-consciousness or anything like that. So the split between these two, between idealism and materialism, Mao traces to the split between classes, where he says that the upper classes have a certain amount of privilege. And, that, you know, that's not surprising. And with this privilege, they are able to escape the toils of everyday life. So that allows them then to spend their time thinking about things that don't necessarily have any relationship to the real world. So they can sit, and this is the armchair philosopher image, they could sit in their armchairs and con contemplate the existence of God or consciousness or, you know, truth, justice, stuff like that. Whereas the lower classes are concerned with materialism because that is their lives. Day in and day out, they have to exist with the world. They work on the soil. They exist among other people in a common struggle, you know, to survive. They don't have the same kind of privilege to explore these higher truths. So the kinds of knowledge that is open to people, at, you know, working their day-to-day -day lives might involve somewhat mundane things. So like pushing science forward to make their lives a little bit easier, for example, so that, you know, you learn to till the soil with 
the help of like an animal, for example, or the production of something like um, uh, the wheel, I don't know, that would make transportation easier. Now, these developments came about not by people sitting in chairs thinking about them a priori, that is through reason alone, but rather through experience and through necessity. And this really goes back to a lot of many of the mathematical and scientific developments over the course of human history have not come about by people, you know, sitting around just thinking these things through. It's only when, you know, certain um, problems were presented through work, through labor, that they had to be circumvented. And through trial and error, they would eventually be circumvented. And then it was only later that proofs, mathematical proofs that were abstract, would then come to, you know, justify why they work. So to just kind of reiterate, idealism is concerned or is present among the upper classes, whereas materialism, which is an emphasis on science, rationality, is present in the lower classes or the oppressed classes for Mao. Now, the idealists, that is the upper classes, view the division of labor as necessary, and that is because they give a certain amount of privilege to the kinds of truths, concepts, ideas that emerge from their knowledge base. And so through that, they're able to say, wow, look at all that we've accomplished by sitting in our armchairs detached from the real world. We must maintain these social relations so that we can continue to flourish in these conditions. So it's in the interest of idealism to maintain certain material conditions. That is the division of labor or classes. So one of the other ways that they justify this is by saying that their truths, that is the things that they come up with, are universal ones. So universal a priori truths of the world, for example, as though the concept can stand in for anything and anyone at any time, and it makes sense to anything and anyone. Now, Mao finds this to be absolutely backwards because these truths are only accessible to a very small percentage of the population. And so he asks, how can we consider these things to be universal or general? They seem rather very particular, whereas the material, that is the thing that everyone or the bulk of the people engage with, seems to then have more of a a general, more of a universal base as opposed to idealism. Now, dialectical materialism enters here as a kind of remedy to idealism because dialectical materialism considers these very social and material factors that allow, that have, you know, fostered this kind of separation between classes that has allowed idealism to flourish. Now, I should say that Although Mao is describing the way that idealism has co-opted these kinds of social relations, idealism goes way back. And he says that idealism probably emerged because people didn't have the tools to understand the exterior world. They didn't have barometers. They didn't have, you know, uh, scales. They didn't have rulers or yardsticks or anything like that. You know, just a few of the examples to understand the world. So they had to then look to spirits, to religion, to gods, to give them explanations for things that were out of their reach. Now with production and with the relations of production, people have developed the means to actually understand the world. And it is through that, then they're able to, in Mao's mind, then they can then shed 
the kind of shackles of religion and superstition and open themselves up to the truths of the material world. So dialectical materialism tells us something about knowledge. It tells us that the social conditions that are real and material, that these social conditions set the base, set the timber for what knowledge is going to look like, how it is going to perform itself, how it's going to come into fruition. So that is how he's able to say that materialist dialectics is the only scientific epistemology. Now, what, what does that mean, scientific epistemology? Well, we know what science is. Science is concerned with the material conditions of the world, more or less, through, you know, cause and effect, through observation, you know, through any kind of other, you know, the scientific method of putting forward a hypothesis, testing it, and seeing if your hypothesis works out or not. Um, and epistemology is the study of knowledge. So he says that dialectical materialism is a kind of scientific epistemology because it is epistemology or it is concerned with the foundations of knowledge. And these foundations are found in the very material conditions of the world. So this is kind of like what how Kant describes synthetic, which is like maybe I'll just say artificial or, or um, related to experience and experience in the world, what he calls synthetic a priori knowledge. So kind of a priori, that is through reason to think about the world itself, to think about experience, but through reason in some ways. And of course, some people out there might be want to downvote this for me equating Mao with Kant, which they would be right to do, and I'm not saying that, I'm just drawing a kind of similar parallel, is that Mao is trying to think of the very material conditions that give knowledge its possibility. So that it's in that way that materialist dialectics is a kind of science that is a study, a material study of epistemology, material study of knowledge. Wow, that's, and I tried saying that a few different times, and for that's the best I could do. <laughs> So I hope that wasn't too confusing. So to just kind of finish this off, he gives us two steps to conducting materialism or dialectical materialism, where the first is to acknowledge that the world exists independently of our consciousness. So the world isn't just out there because we have consciousness. So in that way, he's not a Kantian because Kant, if you don't know, thinks very much that the world is um, conditioned, it is uh, constituted by our perceptions of it. It's more complicated than that, but in a nutshell. So for Mao, it is important that we regard the world as having its own existence separate from us. Now, the second step for him is to acknowledge that matter, the world, society, these things are always in movement. They're always changing. They're always uh, developing. And this is really the dialectical side of it, because dialectics, for those that don't know, I shouldn't have assumed that everyone knows what this is, but a dialectic or dialectics is the movement between or the conflict between an idea, what is taken as a thesis, and an opposing idea, uh, an antithesis. So it's opposite or it's oppositionary uh, pole, which when they come into contact, kind of clash 
and emerge anew in the form of a synthesis, which then assumes the form of a new thesis that is then opposed by a new antithesis. And so here the cycle repeats over and over and over and over again. And it is in that way that society and history, matter, are always moving. They're always developing because there are always these kinds of conflicts, these clashes emerging. And it is through that that we see constant development and change. Now, he contrasts this to the idealists who just give, you know, try to universalize everything, whether it's, you know, the, um, you know, the paragons of religious dogma who say that God created it all. God's the explanation. And that kind of arrests development. It, it stops us from being able to consider the world in its own terms as a dynamic, fluid, organic thing. Uh, or, you know, if we think about something in the world in terms of like, uh, in Hegel, like world spirit as, as just one idea, this kind of universal abstract thing that doesn't have any kind of tangible relationship to the world. But Hegel does say that this thing changes. This is just the example that Mao gives, that is world spirit. So this movement then is, is teleological for Mao. This dialectical materialism posits a telos. Now what a telos is, is a movement in a kind of progressive way. So things are progressing. So in his words, he says that dialectical materialism investigates the world as a progressive movement from the inorganic to the organic and from thence to the highest form of the movement of matter, society. So yeah, that's about it. Um, I just thought I'd do this one because I'm Zooming with a patron who um, wanted to talk about this and I thought, well, if I'm already going to read it, I may as well give it to everyone here, at least my interpretation of it. I think I was pretty fair. Uh, but if I did anything wrong, if I mischaracterized Mao in any way, I'd like to hear about it. Um, yeah, yeah, catch you next time.